Hello and welcome to this very first episode of Popular Antiquarian, a podcast in which I, Hieronymus J. Doom, guide you through the world of entertainment released before the year 2000. Why? Because the world is a dumpster fire and the past is a refuge from the horror of the now. Modern pop culture has become increasingly oriented to the present moment at the expense of history. We live in a world where Disney would rather churn out expensive yet sterile remakes of their iconic animations than simply re-release their classic movies on the big screen. We live in a world where the treasures of the past are plundered for the hits of the present, yet accessing those treasures is being made increasingly difficult. So every episode of this podcast, I will focus on a single piece of media that I think is interesting, enlightening, entertaining, or perhaps even problematic. The episodes will be short, easily digestible nuggets of pop culture from the iconic to the obscure. Not all of them will be good, but I want to make a case for all of them being interesting. Expect to see everything from 1930s pulp adventure fiction to 1980s cartoons as I take you on an idiosyncratic tour through entertainment history. Some stuff will be obvious, some stuff will be obscure. There's no real criteria other than piquing my interest in some way. Let's have a look at my first pick, the 1951 Red Scare movie, I Was a Communist for the FBI. I've always had a fascination with the Red Scare of the 1950s and in the ways in which governments react to dissent more generally. I'm based in the UK, where in 1924, a letter purporting to be from Grigory Zinoviev, the head of the Communist International in Moscow, was sensationally revealed by the fascist-supporting Daily Mail. The letter, claiming to be written to the UK Communist Party, pointed to the Labour government's relations with Soviet Russia as sowing the seeds for a Bolshevik uprising in the UK. The letter was a fake, and its publication four days before a general election was intended to undermine the support for the sitting Labour government. It was an election the Conservatives would ultimately win, and although the impact of the letter is debatable, the use of black propaganda to try and curtail leftist political groups was only getting started. In the USA, by the 1950s, the House Un-American Activities Committee was bullishly interrogating witnesses as part of a witch hunt against communists and other undesirable groups. There were particular concerns about the prevalence of left-wing figures in the movie industry. John Wayne, Walt Disney, Ginger Rogers and future president and current actor Ronald Reagan were among those who went to the committee and named names. They gave the committee various people they saw as subversive, their testimony being instrumental in creating the blacklist, which sought to deny left-wingers in the movie business the chance to work. It's a fascinating and terrifying period in which a broadly talentless and mendacious alcoholic like Senator Joseph McCarthy could wield frightening power on the basis of denouncing whatever mad spectres he saw looking back at him from the bottom of a bottle, despite never serving on HUAC in any official role. It was in this febrile atmosphere of paranoia that I was a communist for the FBI was made in 1951. The film is loosely based on the recollections of a real FBI informant, Matt Gretich, who was able to turn his efforts on behalf of the feds 
into a series of articles in the Saturday Evening Post. In later years, a great deal of his testimony would be re-evaluated. A heavy drinker with mental health issues, he had a history of disclosing his status as an FBI informant to pretty much everyone he met. That he was actually employed by the FBI is certain, but the value of his information and its actual veracity are much more up for debate. He was hardly the first person, and he certainly wouldn't be the last, to find that the interests of a state in the grip of a mania and the interests of self-promotion could be made to align quite profitably. By the middle 1950s, he had been largely discredited, but that was still some time away when this movie was made, and the image of Kvetic was that of a hero, braving death at the hands of a murderous and ruthless enemy in order to keep America safe from the evils of communism. I Was a Communist for the FBI tells the story of a fictional and much less drunk Matt Kvetic, who has infiltrated the local Communist Party office in Pittsburgh at the behest of his FBI handlers. The party is presented as being run by champagne-swilling hypocrites who are willing to exploit any and all social tensions in their remorseless search for power and willing to turn on one another at a moment's notice. Meanwhile, Kvetic's home life has become increasingly strained over the nine long years he has spent as a mole. His mother is very sick, but his brothers are barely willing to be in the same room as him. His marriage is over, and his son is torn between wanting to stick up for his father and disgust at the communist ideals he professes to hold. Kvetic is beginning to find the strain intolerable and wants to get out so that he can rejoin the safe white conformity he has been claiming to reject. When a local teacher, Eve, reveals herself to be another member of the Communist Party, but one who is having doubts about the ideology, an entirely new vector of stress begins to become clear. Now, Kvetic must attempt to safeguard not only his own life and the life of his family, but also the life of Eve. Let's hear a short clip. Gerhard Eisler. For a man out on bail, he covers a lot of ground. He's evidently making a swing around the country, covering all the main branch offices of the party. Final visit, do you suppose? Could be. Get down to the airport and catch flight 19 when she comes in. Find out where he's stopping. You'll use a phony name, of course, but find out everything you can and report back here. Right. So Gerhard Eisler, communist agent, spy, convicted perjurer, was coming to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, the strong heart of America's industrial might, where the commies have planted themselves to throw that heart off beat. That clip gives you a good idea of the tone that this film maintains. I Was a Communist for the FBI is not a subtle film. It's open and at times deeply offensive propaganda which presents a simple situation in which the skullduggery of the communists is viewed as utterly reprehensible, while the actions of the FBI, itself engaged in considerable skullduggery, are viewed as unproblematically heroic. When communists spy on each other, it's presented as evidence of their abiding paranoia and untrustworthiness. But when the government traces the movements of a Labour agitator and keeps him under 24-hour surveillance, this is seen as an entirely laudable and reasonable response. The film is resolutely uninterested in examining the questions of whether utilising the same techniques as subversive groups calls the authorities' own status as the guardians of morality into question. 
I'm reminded of Richard Nixon's famous quote in the um, Frost-Nixon interviews, if the President of the United States does it, then it's not a crime. Not content with presenting the communists as duplicitous and backstabbing, the film also attempts to smear all attempts at effecting large-scale social change as being ultimately part of a communist plot to disrupt a perfectly functioning society. In the film's most repellent scenes, communist agitators are shown encouraging black activists towards militancy, with the explicit conclusion being drawn that all attempts by people of colour to advance their own rights and their own interests are the results not of pervasive injustice within the American system, but of carefully manufactured dissent by cynical manipulators. In later scenes, a team of professional thugs sent in by the communists to assault workers trying to cross a picket line are given metal clubs wrapped in Jewish newspapers in order to frame the Jewish community for the actions of party agents. The party is depicted as punishing all failure on the part of an agent with death and rendering the whole operation as scarcely more credible than Hydra from the Marvel comics. Amidst the simplistic scaremongering, there is one genuinely intriguing sequence which outlines how the communists go about rigging the vote for a strike through the judicious use of filibustering to whittle down attendees of a union meeting which has been deliberately held on a work night when the men will need to be in work early the following morning. Eventually, only the party faithful have stayed the course, allowing the strike vote to be carried. This sequence is a fine demonstration of the way in which groups can and do weaponize the process of democracy to serve their own ends. Ironically, of course, the place where the filibuster is most commonly applied is not a union meeting which is hijacked by sinister forces, but the floor of the US Senate, where it has been an accepted political strategy for many years. Once again, we can see a fascinating example of a tactic being excoriated only when used by a specific subset of society. Trivia fans might like to note that the longest recorded filibuster by a single person was that of Democratic Senator Strom Thurmond in 1957, a mere six years after this film was made. Uh, Thurmond spoke for 24 hours and 18 minutes to impede the passing of a bill he objected to. The bill in question was, of course, a civil rights bill. Having told you that this is a morally repugnant movie, why am I, an anarcho-communist, telling you that you should watch it? Well, there's two reasons. The first is that I think propaganda is intensely fascinating, and propaganda from earlier ages can illuminate and help us to spot the propaganda which surrounds us at all times today. When you see communists painted as pantomime villains in the 1950s, it can help you to think more clearly about people who are being portrayed as villains today. On a simple level, we can ask ourselves whether the image we have of our own opponents is any less simplistic than that presented in I Was a Communist for the FBI. With the distance of history, we can see that the communist threat was wildly overstated by people with a vested interest in the status quo remaining an object of uncritical endorsement by the general public. We can ask ourselves who are the new communists, the new pantomime villains being paraded as a sinister cabal by those in power. Currently in the UK, I'd hold up immigrants and trans people as being the targets of a smear campaign 
barely more subtle than the one advanced in I Was a Communist for the FBI. And this is the second lesson of films like this. Well, it's tempting to look back on the paranoia of an earlier age and laugh. In actuality, there's less of a distance between then and now than we might like to think. We are surrounded by propaganda at all times and operating at various levels of subtlety. Most of it is designed to divide and atomize our society and to tell us that we are incapable of ordering our own affairs but require powerful men and women to take charge of them for us. The recent coronation of Charles Windsor being a case in point, a man being treated to a series of increasingly silly gifts in front of millions for simply having chosen to emerge from the correct womb. This is all quite heavy stuff, but I did say that there's a second reason for watching I Was a Communist for the FBI, and that reason is rather simpler. I think this is a genuinely entertaining movie. It was made by the B-movie division of Warner Brothers, which means it clocks in at a svelte 80 minutes. The director, Gordon Douglas, was an experienced and safe pair of hands, and the core cast turn in excellent, if not subtle, performances. While most of the supporting cast are entirely forgettable, Frank Lovejoy shines as Matt Kvetich, as does his co-star Dorothy Hart as Eve, the teacher questioning her loyalty to the communist cause. Director Gordon Douglas does do a good job of ratcheting up the tension as Kvetich attempts to chart a path between his need to appear loyal to the party, to follow the FBI's guidance, and his concern for those around him. There is a marvellous scene at a cemetery where Kvetic's mother has just died and he's been forced to say nothing while two party members crudely mock the mourners for their religious convictions. Kvetic's brothers turn on him, first trying to provoke him into a fight and then assaulting him outside the church. Kvetic does nothing to defend himself, unable to make an honest disavowal of communism or to strike back against a family member whose attitudes are secretly his own. The film does a fantastic job of communicating the awful stress experienced by the professional liar being hounded on every side. Kvetic's own struggle is paralleled with that of Eve. Initially, she's assigned to watch Kvetic for signs of disloyalty, this being standard practice in the fictitious presentation of the Communist Party. When she happens upon a confession Kvetic has written to his son, in which he outlines his true American ideals, the confession only to be opened in the event of his death, she too realises that he cannot continue as a loyal communist. Where Kvetic's inner turmoil is implicit, buried beneath his carefully constructed facade, hers is explicit, and she is able to act as the emotional mouthpiece for Kvetic's unspoken frustration. She speaks up against the senior party members and thus becomes marked for termination, setting the stage for the final act of the film where Kvetic is attempting to save her life while still maintaining his own cover. It's a genuinely thrilling climactic act to the film and it's easy to get sucked into the fast-paced action. The sense that something could go wrong at any moment for Kvetic is omnipresent through the film and the tension just ratchets up and up and it helps tinge even the more leaden scenes with an undercurrent of tension. 
Having sucked us into Kvetic's private struggles, the film returns to the public sphere for the finale, which takes place in front of the House and American Activities Committee. This sequence, for me, was the bucket of cold water that reminded me that no matter how seductive this film's depiction of an ordinary man trapped in an extraordinary situation might be, it's still ultimately a propaganda vehicle for the worst kind of capitalist brainwashing, the triumph of the status quo over an entirely manufactured descent. We get to see Kvetic revelling in his moment, finally casting off his cloak of secrecy to reveal that he was a hero all along and it's an ugly sight for me. Still, I think films like I Was a Communist for the FBI are important cultural artefacts and can and should be enjoyed for the ways they turn political diatribes into entertainment. There's no such thing as entertainment that lacks a political dimension, and hopefully, by watching those films which parade their politics as brazenly as this one, we can become more sensitive to the messages in those films that make more of an effort to disguise their agenda. Also, it's just enjoyable to me to see people wearing hats indoors and smoking constantly while wearing trousers pulled right up to near their nipples great times. Join me next week for another episode of Popular Antiquarian, where I'll be exploring the past to try and improve our present. The next episode will be considerably lighter, as I'll be examining a curious episode from a popular 1980s children's cartoon. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me by email at hjdoomretrofun, or one word, at gmail.com. I also have a podcast called Fantastic Fights where I play and review old adventure game books. Thank you very much for listening. Take care and I'll see you soon.